Welcome to the Wandering Bard Podcast. Hi, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Today I'm going to talk about a man named James Scott Skinner. James Skinner was a famous Scottish fiddler and composer who played with a very definitive classical style that influenced contemporary and subsequent Scottish fiddlers and their music for over a century. Throughout my time studying Irish, Scottish, and folk music in general, I found a couple tunes that had really resonated with me, and as I started looking more into them, this name kept popping up, and so I figured he'd make a good topic for the podcast. I had previously only known the Strathspey King, as he came to be known, as a composer, but he was actually a consummate showman. He was a dancer, a cello player, and a pretty good fiddler in his own right. For those of you who don't know, a Strathspey is a type of very snappy Scottish tune. I'm a fan of quotes, as you might be able to tell if you visit my website, but one I really like from James Skinner is, Talent does what it can, genius does what it must. Depending on where you ask, the reputation of James Skinner could be famous or infamous. His once great reputation is somewhat diminished nowadays, in part due to accusations of him being pompous and egocentric, a perception which is unfortunately not helped by his own memoirs. James Skinner, the Scot would come later, was born the 5th of August, 1843, near Aberdeen, Scotland, in a town called Arbidi Village. His father was a dance master, and while he would eventually become a pretty famous dancer himself, he'd never get the chance to learn from his father, as he died when James was only a year and a half old. In addition to being a professional dance teacher, which was a pretty big deal for the time, William Skinner, James Skinner's father, was actually a pretty good fiddler too. Incredibly, he had to relearn how to play the fiddle with his left hand when a shotgun fired as part of a wedding celebration took off three fingers. Needless to say, being devoted to their musical craft ran in the Skinner family. James Skinner was the youngest of six children and had a pretty rough home life. His mother, apparently, was a very strict woman who brooked no childish disobedience and reinforced her beliefs with the rod. He was similarly ill-treated by a schoolmaster when he came of school age. James's brother, Sandy, older and an accomplished musician, began to teach him fiddle and cello when he was six years old. But he too was remembered as a harsh taskmaster and would often met out humiliating punishment to James. At the age of seven, he started studying violin and cello with his oldest brother, Alexander. He taught him to vamp, which is playing a bass line on the cello, which at the time they called a bass fiddle. And by the time he was eight, he was playing with another local fiddler named Peter Milne. An interesting anecdote here is that James would often be sent to the chemist to get Mr. Milne's medicine, which was opium, as he was a known addict, having developed the addiction after being prescribed it as a cure for rheumatism. Skinner, in fact, often referenced Mr. Milne in his biographies as a father-like figure. Since there were no actual dance halls, the two would play at dances held in barns. They would often have to walk for up to 10 miles to get there, returning home in the wee hours of the morning. I read one story where he returned home and was so tired he'd fallen asleep against the door before he even had a chance to turn the knob, and it wasn't until two hours later that his mother found him leaning against the door asleep. They would do this all for the sum of five shillings a month. I tried to find what a shilling was worth, and then inadvertently stumbled onto a very contentious topic. 
people argue quite aggressively about exchange rates adjusted for time in countries, but I'm going to say this was roughly about $20. James would eventually move to Aberdeen proper in 1852 when his mother married after his father died. When he is 10, his brother Sandy arranged an audition for him with Dr. Mark's Little Men, a children's orchestra based in Manchester. Think of this group like a modern-day NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. Getting signed up for them was a pretty big deal. James signed up for a six-year apprenticeship. The orchestra gave a command performance before Queen Victoria at Buckingham on 10 February 1858, so they were the real deal. During this time, Skinner would meet a man named Charles Rougier, a French violinist with the Hall Orchestra, who taught him to read music. The little men were taught to play by ear, which James could already do very well, so he was lacking behind on his sight reading. Rougier realized this and set about rectifying it. Rougier was so good at teaching that in later years, James credited him for his success as a composer and performer. It was this training that allowed Skinner to perform pieces by composers such as Paganini and Mozart, alongside his own traditional pieces, and also composed technically difficult works such as The President. Skinner felt that these compositions put him above his contemporaries, such as Marshall and Neil Gow. Dr. Mark ran a pretty great program for his little men. They had lessons in the morning and again in the afternoon. Every afternoon and evening, they performed in concerts. Dr. Mark gave the boys an hour's play in the morning and again in the afternoon, and another hour for dinner and an hour for tea. He believed that a musical education encouraged a happy family life. Dr. Mark received no public money to provide for the boys, and he reckoned that in 10 years, he had spent the sum of 30,000 pounds, which is a huge amount by today's standards. Eventually, James Skinner would abscond from Dr. Mark's Little Men and would return to Aberdeen, where he was introduced to William Scott of Stonywood, a dancing master and the man that Skinner would take his middle name from. Whether this was out of reverence for his teacher or simply to make himself sound more Scottish is debatable. However, under Scott, Skinner learned to be a dancing master, a career that would take him on travels around the northeast and north of Scotland from Inverness to Balmoral. In 1862, he took part in a Highland dancing competition in Ireland. He won first prize in a sword dance competition, accompanying himself on the fiddle. This is an extremely impressive task, and it allowed him to beat the reigning champion, John McNeil. For a modern-day example of something like this, think maybe someone like Lindsay Sterling. I've seen these sword dances done in pubs in Ireland. They're pretty interesting to watch. Basically, what they do is put two brooms down on the floor. They don't really use swords anymore and then dance in the squares that the brooms make. The next year, he won a violin competition in Inverness, and his reputation really started to grow. That same year, he became a professional dancing master. He held his first classes at Strathen Aberdeenshire. His growing reputation eventually led to work at Balmoral Castle, Queen Victoria's Scottish retreat, where he taught dancing to more than 100 tenants and children. She specifically requested him to teach calisthenics and dancing to the royal household at Balmoral. In 1868, he had 125 pupils there. Some of Skinner's teaching methods were timeless. One pupil noted that Skinner had a short temper. He said that Skinner would wrap a pupil who got steps wrong on the head with his bow, regardless of how much that pupil had paid for lessons. This was a trait that most dancing masters had in common for the time. In 1870, James would move to Elgin and marry his first wife, Jean Stewart, from Aberlour, Moray, in 1871. This year would see the birth of their daughter, Jeannie. A son, Manson, arrived in 1881. It was around this time that the family would start expanding their music schools, often spending weeks at a time in different towns. 
Their business soon covered most of the north of Scotland, including Forest, Nairn, Inverness, Dingwall, Invergordon, Tain, and Wick, all which were accessible by rail. Skinner made his living in much the same way as his first mentor, Peter Milne, did, by teaching and performing whenever he could, although he was rather more successful at engaging the gentry to be his patrons. His performing repertoire consisted of classical pieces, traditional Scottish music, and his own compositions, and after more than a decade of work, he had the patronage of all the big private families in Rothshire, Invernessshire, Elginshire, and Banffshire. Skinner had several musical works published to include the Miller O'Hearn Collection, The Beauties of the Ballroom, The Logie Collection, The Scottish Violinist, and infamously The Elgin Collection, which took place in 1884 and was a huge part of the tragedy and possibly to blame for his wife passing away. He ended up going into debt trying to publish The Elgin Collection, as it was a far more ambitious undertaking than he had previously thought. Getting the works published contributed to his bankruptcy. His wife, Jane, was committed to the Elgin Lunatic Asylum, suffering from excitement caused by pecuniary embarrassment. His wife would never recover and would end up dying in the asylum, basically a pauper. In 1893, James would join a tour of the United States and Canada with a well-known piper and a champion Highland dancer whose name was Willie McLennan. McLennan would die suddenly of meningitis and the tour ended up flopping and James actually got stuck in America. The company that had hired him had to ask wealthy expatriate Scots for help for him to get back to Scotland. Upon his return, Skinner decided to adopt the Highland dress, both on and off stage. He decided to give up dancing and to devote his remaining years to performing and composing. After returning to Scotland, he virtually gave up dancing and concentrated on the fiddle. In 1897, he remarried and wrote some of his best work. In 1899, he made his first wax cylinder recording. This was pretty progressive for the time and a very new technology that not everyone was so prone to embrace. James was actually one of the first Scottish artists to ever be recorded. This same year, he would remarry Gertrude Mary Park at Bromwell Cottage. In 1903, he wrote one of his best-known tunes called Hector the Hero. This is a lament for a Scottish major general named Hector MacDonald. Hector MacDonald was a friend of Skinner's who committed suicide following accusations of homosexuality. This is a great tune, and I was thinking about playing it for this podcast, but I actually think I'm going to do a separate podcast entirely devoted to this tune, because it's really a tragic story. In 1904, Skinner published the Harp and Claymore Collection, which was his biggest collection of music to date, which was edited by Gavin Grieg. In the period from 1906 to 1909, James lived a settled life. He unfortunately had so little money, though, that he could not afford to publish any more of his work. He would basically send manuscripts to his friends who would copy them and then play them around town to try and create a market or a demand for James's work. Because he was so poor at the time, James was forced to transcribe his work onto pretty much anything he had available, which often included envelopes and handbills. Many of these transcriptions are now being displayed in museums. Skinner would frequently use the word genius to describe himself. This might explain the fact why his second wife resigned and moved to Rhodesia in 1909. She apparently left very suddenly and took everything, to include the bedsheets. In 1917, his portrait, now in the McManus Galleries in Dundee, was painted by the artist J. Young Hunter. The painting was publicly presented to him at a ceremony at the Music Hall in Edinburgh. Six years later, his autobiography, My Life and Adventures, was serialized in the People's Journal. For the next few years, between concert engagements, he stayed with friends or lived in hotels until in 1922, at the age of 79, he bought his first house in Aberdeen, Scotland at 25 Victoria Street, 
where he lived with his housekeeper, Mrs. Lily Richards. He threw himself on another round of concert tours, and several of his 1910 recordings for Columbia and London are available on his CD on the Temple label. This recording includes traditional tunes as well as some of his own works, and it presents a unique window into early 20th century fiddle playing. Four years later, he was invited to take part in a fiddle competition in the United States. He went all the way there, but then ended up being unhappy with the competition rules and refused to take part. He apparently had some kind of musical difference of opinion with the piano player and just strode right off stage without even completing his test pieces. Over 600 of his compositions were published, among the best known being The Bonnie Lass of Bon Accord, The Cradle Song, Bavagli's Plaid, The Musico Spey, and Hector the Hero. James Scott Skinner died on 17 March 1927. The Aberdeen City Police Pipe Band led the funeral procession to Allenvale Cemetery, and as many as 40,000 people lined the streets. Piper George S. McLennan played Lock a Bear No More over the grave. A bronze bust was unveiled by his friend Sir Harry Lauder in 1931. The opening bars of The Bonnie Lasso Bon Accord are inscribed on the stone. Having such a wide catalog of music, it was difficult settling on a piece to play for the performance part of this episode. I decided to play a piece called The Cradle Song, which has some personal relevance for me. I used to play this piece to my son as he was in my wife's womb, and then later when he would lay in his cradle. Thanks for entertaining my piano playing on that piece. It's not an instrument I'm super proficient in, but I'm definitely trying to learn and incorporate it more into my skill set. The purpose of these performance pieces isn't necessarily to put out a perfectly polished version of the song or tune. I'm going to do that at some point on the website, but right now I'm just doing a couple takes and then taking the best ones and then doing some brief mixing to make sure the levels are okay. I do have two more anecdotal stories before closing the podcast that I'd like to tell about Skinner. I couldn't find a logical place to put them in terms of the timeline. At one point, James Skinner wrote a tune to a patron named William McHardy of Drumblair. Mr. McHardy allowed Skinner the use of his cottage, and one night while staying there, Skinner awoke in the middle of the night with a tune in his head. He grabbed the only thing available to him, which was a piece of soap paper, and composed a tune called The Laird of Drumblad as a dedication to his patron. His wife protested against Skinner giving it to his patron, saying the paper was better for nothing other than lighting a pipe with, 
but he persisted. McCarty was so impressed that he ended up sending Skinner a check every following Christmas. The second story has to do with the tune The Bonnie Laughs with Bonacord, which was written in December 1884 in Aberdeen. Its inspirer was a young girl named Wilhelmina Bell. Wilhelmina's father used to play bass fiddle for James's father. Wilhelmina herself was a splendid dancer, but was having to work as a servant for her father because he had been ruined by taking on a friend's debt. Never mind, my lassie, said James cheerfully. I'll make a tune that'll keep you in mind when we're both dead. Skinner was a pretty divisive figure for his time, but Bruce McGregor states it best. Whatever the claims against Skinner's music, the one thing that is patently clear is that he cannot be ignored. Skinner had an ear for a melody that encapsulated the emotions of his fellow Scots. We'll never truly know what went on in Skinner's mind or fully understand what drove him on. In many respects, it doesn't really matter. What is clear is that his music possesses the unique elements of Scottish music, passion, vigor, heart, and soul. And as long as those are the core elements of traditional music, then James Scott Skinner will always remain the king. That's it for this episode. I really appreciate you tuning in. Please follow me on Facebook, go to YouTube, subscribe, do all that stuff. Um, any feedback that you offer, I'm definitely absolutely receptive to. So if there's any person or song or tune or thing you would like me to cover, I'd be happy to hear your feedback or just improvements in general that you think I can make to the podcast, the music that I'm putting out or anything. Uh, I'm definitely a student of the art and receptive to hearing any criticisms that are out there. The first local project is up on the website. I really encourage you to check it out because it turned out great. It really set the bar high for the future ones. I also just got back from two weeks in Ireland. I was able to do a couple there, but it's going to take me some time to get the artistic contributions from the painters of the different cities and towns. You can find the video on YouTube, but I really implore you to go to the website and look at the full post. It's got the artistic contribution, bios of everyone involved, and some links to some of the other interesting projects that they all have going on as well. So that's it. By the time this comes out, it'll be 2019, so Happy New Year, good luck in your goals, and as usual, be bold, be kind, and safe travels wherever your wandering takes you.